So, Father, we just think to this week when we had a pretty strong storm blow through Emporia and things we thought were grounded and rooted and unable to be torn down were. And I think it's a reminder that there are those of us today who are living in circumstances where we are in the midst of a storm and things that we thought were rooted aren't as rooted as we thought. And so we take that song and we acknowledge that you alone, our Father, you alone are good. You are the only one who is unshakable. And so help us today, if anyone is in a storm, to center our thoughts and our hearts and our lives on you and to, um, to place our trust in you and not in those things that cannot sustain us. You are a good Father, and we pray in your name. Amen. Morning, everybody. Did you awake to the fog? It was not foggy when I came, but it was foggy around, I don't know, about 8.30 or so. So, uh, Jordan, thanks so much. Where is Jordan? Oh, he took, he bailed. Once I got up, he's, he's gone. No, just tell him I appreciated him sharing last week, and he did a good job, and that was... Um, that was just very excellent. I appreciated what he had to say and am totally with him on that, that that's really where, um, that's where we are and where we're going in our thoughts in regard to children. Um, there are still some college students here this week. A lot of them are back home for the weekend, but just want to remind you that two things next week. We are going to start our college class that's going to meet during this hour at 9.15. Back in, if you go through door number eight, it goes upstairs. And that's where that group will meet. And then afterwards, we'll have a lunch for all the college students here. So we would like to, to, uh, to welcome you to that. And if there's anybody new today, we'd like to welcome you. I know I already ran into a couple of people, Steve, back there. And uh, Deji, is that right? Who came here all the way from Nigeria. So it is so awesome to have somebody all the way from Nigeria who's here visiting. We do care about all nations. God cares about all nations. So it's, we just love having people here from different na nations. Even I see Enha, an old friend from Korea, is back. So good to have you guys. So for those of you that are new, we welcome you. Um, let me see. A couple other things. Um, next week, we're going to start a new series on spiritual idolatry that um, is a topic that has really changed the way I think about so many things when I, when this became, when I realized how big it was in the Bible many years back, but it, it still impacts me in a lot of ways, and you probably haven't noticed now because we haven't talked about it, but a lot of times you'll hear things related to this that are under the surface of what I'm saying, and so when we go through this series as a community, uh, I think it'll be good because then we'll all have, you'll kind of know when I'm talking about those things, what I'm referring to. But I'm pretty excited about that. Our small groups are going to be going through that together. Um, we're giving that a shot this semester, so I appreciate everybody being willing to work with us on that. Um, so, but this morning, I'm just doing something that's just a standalone. Is that okay? Just something that's, that's just by itself. I had topic that I was going to do, and... In the book of Jude, he wrote to them, he said, I was going to write to you about um, our, our great salvation, and then he realized there was something happening in 
their community that he felt like he needed to address, and so he addressed it. So what he was going to do, he changed to something else. And there's nothing in the community I'm concerned about, but something came to my attention a week and a half ago that some of you probably knew earlier than I did. Um, in one week, I heard about two really famous people who followed Jesus who had left the faith, Joshua Harris and Marty Sampson. And I thought, you know, we need to talk about these kinds of things. Um, Joshua Harris, how many of you read the book or were influenced by the book, I Kissed Dating Goodbye? I think those of us who lived in the ancient times were influenced by that book or um, I knew his thoughts but never read it. Nobody? It's Joshua Harris? Uh, yeah, so some people. Um, he eventually became pastor. He was pastoring in Maryland, and uh, not too long ago, he separated from his wife and put on his Instagram or something that he, they, he was undergoing significant changes. And then not too long after that, he said he was not a Christian anymore. He said, I've undergone a massive shift in regard to my faith in Jesus. The popular phrases for this is deconstruction. The biblical phrase is falling away. By all measurements that I have for de defining Christian, I am not a Christian. And I don't know which of these was first, but then I heard next about Marty Sampson. And I don't know him well, but I think um, if you're maybe more into worship and stuff, he was a, one of the writers for Hillsong and their worship music um, down in Australia. And he first put out on a tweet or on Instagram, he said that I'm genuinely losing my faith. And then some people responded back to him and he kind of backtracked um, but then he's put out some other stuff recently, and he said this, it's time for some real talk. I'm genuinely losing my faith, and it doesn't bother me. Like, what bothers me now is nothing. Uh, how many preachers fall? No one talks about it. Why, why is the Bible full of contradictions? No one talks about it. It's not for me. I'm not in anymore. I want genuine truth. Uh, not the I just believe it kind of truth. Science keeps piercing the truth of every religion. All I know is what's true to me right now, and Christianity just seems to me like another religion at this point. And then he said, I'm on incredibly shaky ground. And then he kind of backtracked. He had a lot of pushback. But then he came out a little bit after that, and he says, I am not anymore. And so he officially was out. And I thought, you know, we should talk about this. This is important. Um, and there have been other people, Rob Bell a while back, Michael Gunger, if you listen to any of the Gunger worship music, Michael Gunger took that step where he said, I just don't believe in God anymore. Um, so this is something that's going on around us, and I wanted to, to deal with it. And I forgot another really important thing, there's something else that's going on around us, that uh, Ariel got married in Hostway last week. Look at that, Kieran like is all military standing over there, and that was cool, out at the clover cliff, and there they are, sorry, I've got to do this as a dad, you know. And then they, they were on uh, honeymoon in Seattle this week, and they sent a picture from Mount Rainier, and I'm telling you, is that not the faces of a couple on a honeymoon? I mean, look at, look at, just look at the, I'm like, ah, so that thing's going to get framed. So, now... <laughs> So now back to the heavy thing, okay? Um, so I do, I want to talk today about losing faith. 
because it's real, it has been real, and it's actually more real now more than ever. And I, so um, I want to deal with it because um, it is something that I think sometimes is an elephant in the room. We hear stories about it, but it doesn't get addressed, especially the things that Samson was saying. He had these questions, and he's like, nobody in church ever talked about my questions. Um, and so I don't want this to be an elephant in the room. I want this to be a place that we can talk about hard things if we need to, and we can be honest about stuff. So, again, this isn't surprising. Um, this has happened before. Paul, in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, wrote about this. He told Timothy to fight the battle well, holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, so a couple guys that were shipwrecked. And then in 2 Timothy 2, he speaks again of Hymenaeus, of people that have shipwrecked. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who departed from the truth. They say that the resurrection's already taken place, and they destroy the faith of some. So this is nothing new. Um, it just happens. It is what it is. Not super alarming, but to me, the reason I wanted to talk about it is because this is something that's ramping up these days in this, for this generation especially, I think. I mean, for my generation, for the generations that follow. So let me give you a little bit of background on why I think we need to talk about this. Um, Charles Taylor wrote a book called This Secular Age, and you don't need to read it. Probably most of us can't read it. I can't read it. I've only been able to read people's summaries of what he wrote. Um, but he has a lot to say about our current cultural climate. Um, there are a couple of guys who did a podcast called This Cultural Moment that is taking a lot of what Charles Taylor says and, and applying it to, to current things. But here's, let me just give you a rundown of what he says and how I think it applies to this. All right, and then we're going to look at a scripture that relates. Um, I think we all know this. Christianity is no longer the default belief position in our culture. It hasn't been for 50 years. Um, we are not at the center. Christianity is not the center of our culture anymore. It's moved off to the side, to the periphery. Um, and religious belief in our culture is now understood just to be one option among many. There's lots of options out there. There's lots of options and alternatives on beliefs, and there's kind of been this explosion of all of these belief options. Um, I think in my grandparents' time, there was a singular, monolithic, obvious take on the world and our culture, but that's gone. That there is no one way of looking at the world in the West anymore. And we're all being bombarded by multiplying perspectives on everything from politics to gender to spirituality. I mean, you know this, right? Even my friends at the university, you guys really know this this, this year really well. Just being bombarded with this multiplicity of perspectives. And these perspectives now are close to us like they've never been before. We've got friends saying, talking about these things. Again, my grandparents' generation, they grew up in a small town. Both of my parents grew up in a small town in Texas, and they never met, they never knew a Hindu or a Muslim or an atheist or any of that, right? And so you could, you, you just believed what everybody believed, but there was no proximity of all that, but we've got that now. Um, and these perspectives are all frequent, and we're hearing them all the time. And religious belief now more than ever is contested, especially the Christian faith. 
Our faith is being constantly challenged in the schools, among our peers, in the media, in entertainment, everywhere. It's being challenged. And what this has done is this, this is created. So this, there's like, there's just all these different options on what is truth and what is God and is there a God and what's reality and what's the good life. And what it's done is it's created a lot of internal pressure on people and their beliefs. He says everybody now has this sense of a sense that I'm not totally sure that what I believe is real because there's so many options out there that he says that everybody struggles to a degree with this. And he talks about that we live in this cross-pressured space where all these things we're hearing starts to put pressure on us, especially I think my generation and the younger generations are living under this cross-pressure like never before. And as a result, um, many people's Beliefs are becoming what he calls fragilized or destabilized. Um, many believers these days, especially kind of generationally, but many people are beset with doubts. Some, those doubts are large and distressing. Others, they're small and nagging. Um, and believing does not come as easy as it used to. Um, I have a good example of this even. I, like... Three years ago, I preached something on the law because the law is used against Christians a lot these days in regards to sexuality and other things. And so I dealt with kind of an overview of the law and how I think it's misunderstood. And I had so many people who contacted me over the next two weeks after that in here who were believers who said, I was struggling with that myself. I didn't know how to answer that question. I was even a little bit uncomfortable. And that's what he's talking about, is that there's just, even the, those of us who believe, there's, just, there's this, these little doubts sometimes. Um, and on top of all that, as Yale Law Professor Stephen Carter says, we live in a culture now of disbelief. Again, my parents' generation would have been a generation of belief. Your tendency was to believe and trust. That's gone away. We live in a time of uh, what they call a hermeneutic of suspicion. People are skeptical of truth claims. Um, we live in an age that favors doubt over belief. Um, unbelief has become the default option for many people in our culture. So we hear of blind faith and honest doubt. You can tell just from those things we hear where, where, we're putting, where our culture is putting the weight. Faith is blind, but doubts are honest. Uh, and they can be, but that's just what you hear. You never hear of honest faith and blind doubt, right? So we've shifted in our culture to where doubt is the default. In most modern movies, the hero is the person who doubts, who doubts the truth that's being told, who doubts the system, who doubts whatever. That's always the hero now. Um, so we live in an age when faith is challenged, um, not just faith is in our religious beliefs, but faith in the sense of even believing. And so he says that today, faith today is fraught with doubt, that even people who believe have some doubts under the surface. And Charles Taylor even says, we are all Thomas now. It used to be some people were Thomas, but he says now we're all Thomas. And I think we ignore this reality, this cultural reality at our own peril. And I think especially if you're a parent here or you're a grandparent, we ignore this reality at the peril of our children if we don't understand that they are living in this cross-pressure and that belief for them is very fragile and can tip easily from belief to unbelief, and so that's why I, why I wanted to talk about this. Um, 
Yeah, I don't want it to be like Samson said, Marty Samson, where he said, we never talked about contradictions in the Bible or science and faith. He said that just never got talked about. And I want to tell you, especially for young people, even, I mean, my age was kind of the first that cynical generation, but um, when things aren't talked about, what that usually means to them is it's not talked about because there's something to hide, because there's reality in the critique, and since it's never talked about, and that, that even creates more doubt. So that's why I don't think this kind of thing can be an elephant in the room here at 12th, okay? I think in our community, we need to talk about this stuff. So just a few things on generally, in my experience over the years, in talking to people who struggle with faith or losing faith or doubts, these are kind of the big ones that I encounter. Suffering in general. People have a heart when suffering happens, a lot of times that is a creator of a lot of doubt. Like, why would God allow a good person to suffer or that to happen to those people? Suffering that then becomes personalized is even harder for some people. When it isn't just suffering in the world, but when I go through something, that that even can take it up a notch. Um, I find a lot of people start struggling in doubts when they have expectations of God of what something He should do in their life. And when those expectations are not met, that they begin to doubt. I think that's closely kind of related to the personal suffering, but having expectations of God doing something, and when it doesn't happen, doubt can creep in. There's a lot these days in the doubt of the integrity of the Bible. You know, again, my parents' generation, well, I don't know, because my dad, he used to talk to me all the time about how the Bible was not, uh, had no integrity, that it was full of contradictions. He was the minority, I think, but... Um, I'm telling you, ask, ask my kids, you go to ESU and in philosophy and geology, Christianity and the faith is getting nailed in almost every class. It's a constant thing. They talk about the Bible's not reliable. There were all these Gnostic gospels. There were many competing Christianities and this one just won. And if another one had won, we'd be doing a totally different kind of faith. This is the kind of stuff that they're hearing. And, or that that book is too old and it doesn't speak to modern times anymore. This is the stuff that's in the air that people are hearing, and that causes doubt to creep in. Science, people who think that science contradicts faith or the Bible. Um, another thing that causes doubt is, I think, seeing the faith not lived out in a church body or kids growing up in a home where they can tell that their parents really, it really doesn't make a difference in their life. That creates doubt. Um, Incongruence, this is one I hear a lot more these days, incongruence between the Bible and personal experience. When what a person sees or feels in the world doesn't match up with what the Bible says. Um, I don't think I'm going to do this quote, but another one though is there, sometimes doubt comes because people simply don't want a master in their life. They don't want a Lord over their life. Um, I don't know that I want to read this whole thing, but Aldous Huxley Basically, I, I guess I will. He said, I had motive for not... He was the most famous atheist of my parents' generation. I had motive for not wanting the world to have meaning, consequently assumed it had none, and was able to, without any difficulty, to find satisfying reasons for this assumption. The philosopher who finds no meaning in the world is not concerned exclusively with a problem in pure metaphysics, that's really big. He's, he's saying it's not just mental for a lot of people. It's not just a concern they have. He's also concerned to prove there's no valid reason why he personally should not, should not do as he wants to do. Does that make sense? 
uh, or why his friends should not seize political power and govern in the way that they find most advantageous to themselves. For myself, the philosophy of meaninglessness was essentially an instrument of liberation, sexual and political. In other words, I chose doubt because doubt meant if there's no God, I can do whatever I want to do, right? And that, that is, that's behind some people's doubt, so we have to be honest. It's not, not all doubt is necessarily honest doubt. Some of it is motivated by other things. So, so what I want to do is I want to look at a text that relates to doubt. Can we do that? It's one of my favorite texts. It is found in the book of John. Now, here, I'm, you guys are going to be in my experiment this morning to see if this works. That's pretty small. My guess is uh, that's hard to see in the back. Is that, there's Christy. Is that hard to see in the back, Christy? So-so. Here's the most important thing. In your bulletin, the text is in your bulletin. If you'll pull out your notes, on the back of the notes page is this text. And we're going we're gonna to manuscript with it a little bit. We're going to draw some circles and underline, and you'll be able to see your text. And so if you pull that out, um, I want you to work with me. So I'm going to read this, and then we're going to jump in. So on the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them, and he said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, which means twin, one of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. I think he said it like this, My Lord and my God. Like, wow. And then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, that by believing you may have life in his name. And this is the word of the Lord. We all know Thomas, right? I mean, if you know the Bible, you've heard of Thomas, doubting Thomas. Charles Taylor says, we're all Thomas now. So I think this speaks to us. So I wanna, here's what I want to do first. I want you guys to help me out, and then I'm going to show you some principles I find in this story that relate to losing faith. So as we always, the first thing I always start with is you guys tell me, what are some words you see that are repeated that seem important? Again, there are sometimes words repeated that maybe aren't important, but what are some words you guys see repeated in this? As you're looking at your sheet, if you can't see mine, that's okay. As you're looking at yours, what are some words that you see repeated? And speak loud, remember, because I'm of that old generation. Okay, I see disciples in there a lot. I'm, if you don't mind, I'm not going to underline that, but that was a word that I saw a lot when I was looking at this. Huh? Peace. In fact, not just peace, but I think I see three times, peace be with you, peace be with you. There's another one right down here. That's pretty important. Okay, what else? Huh? Yeah, believe. Yes, very significant words, and there's like five or six of them. 
All right, you guys help me. I see one here. I see a not believe. I see a believe here and a believed and a believed. And down here a believe and believing. Did I miss one? It seems like there probably should be one more. Okay, I don't hear anybody telling me I missed one. So that's an extremely important word. What else? Yeah, Jesus. I'm going to come back to that in a little bit. I mean, let's go ahead and hit him. I mean, hit him. Let's go ahead and circle him, sorry. Uh, But I am going to come back to that. So Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And you guys feel free to yell out like, hey, there's another one somewhere. Okay, I haven't. 21, after seeing this. Okay, right. That occurs a lot. What else? Huh? Doors were locked. Michelle, what does that say about you? Doors were locked is the thing you noticed. You can't. <laughs> I'm just teasing her because I love her. Where's doors are locked? 19? Okay. The doors are locked, and does it occur again? 26? They're there. Doors are locked. All right. What other things? Any other significant things? C. Yes. Look at all the times you see like see or saw or seen. Um, Let me see. He said, he showed. So they saw, and we have seen. They said, unless I see, I will not believe in this one. How skin the doors came and stood, and he said, let me see. There's got to be some more, right? Stop believing. You have seen. 27 had one. See. See. Uh-huh. And you'll also notice put is in here a lot. Put, put, there's some puts. Here's a put. Not as much as the scene, but there is puts in here. Here's a put. Um... There's probably some more puts. You see side, finger, hand quite a lot. You know that need for empirical things to touch, to see, to touch. Um, Let me show you another one that I find. I find the Lord in here three times. I think three. There might be more. Seems like whenever my Lord and my God... So he adds a really significant thing right there. Okay. Um, good job. So there's some other stuff we could do, and I'll, I'll point out a couple other things. But those are kind of some of the main things. And what, what's good about doing this exercise is it shows you where to really focus or to concentrate. You can see key themes. That's why we always do this uh, kind of exercise. I will, let me circle another thing up here. I, a word I thought was really significant was overjoyed because it says they had fear earlier, um, and that fits with the peace, the whole peace thing. So let me make a few points from this text that relate to doubt and losing faith. And the main, the main thing for me, the main thing for me is in, um, what's Jesus, I mean, what does Thomas want? Thomas says, I don't believe you guys, there's no way this is true. What's he want? What's he asked for? He wants proof. He wants evidence. He wants to touch it. He wants to see it. He wants to feel it, right? Real specific, too. 
those holes in his wrist, the side. I, I want evidence. And so the text says, to me, this is the most important thing. When Jesus shows up, he says, you don't need evidence. Just simply believe, right? That's what he says. Just believe. Right, Jordan? Just believe. I, you know, worked with internationals for a long time. Still hang with some of these guys. And I used to, uh, forgive me, but a lot of the Koreans who came who, who had given up faith or something told me they would go to a pastor with a question and they said the pastor would, would frequently say to them, just believe and wouldn't answer the questions. And so many of them had, had lost their faith because of that. And what I'm encouraged by is Jesus, I don't think to a truth seeker who's having doubts, Jesus doesn't say, what's wrong with you? Get out of here. Just believe. Jesus, what does Jesus do? In verse 27, he offers him what he's after, looking for, right? He says, here, put, put your finger here. Put your hand in the side. And he showed him, right? So Jesus was okay with his doubts. Jesus was not afraid of his doubts. Jesus was willing to come and to give answer to his doubts. Isn't that encouraging? Isn't that encouraging to see? Um, Jesus is not afraid of my questions. Neither is God. And I know this, if you look through the Bible, some of the key believers through the whole Bible, David asked so many questions in the Psalms. Habakkuk had big questions. Jeremiah and Lamentations, lots of questions. Job was full of questions. Jesus the Lord, who is the Lord and who is my God, had a really big question at one point in his life where on the cross he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If he can ask a question, do you think Thomas can ask a question? Do you think I can ask a question? I mean, we've all had questions, haven't we? All of us have. Um, let me give you a few of the questions I've really wrestled with. Did you ever notice that when you blow in a dog's face, he gets mad at you? But when you go on a car ride, he sticks his head out the window. Why is that? <laughs> have any of you ever asked that question? <laughs> uh, why does somebody believe you when you say there are four trillion stars in the universe, but they check you when you say the, pe the, the paint is wet? Why is that? Or how come the glue doesn't stick in the bottle? Anybody? I remember when I was a kid, I used to wonder, why is the glue not like stick in the bottle? Or why didn't Noah kill the two mosquitoes when he had the chance? <laughs> I thought that one yesterday as we were doing yard work, right, and my legs got eaten up. Um, and for the guys, I've got a big one, because all the guys, why do we as men, why do we press the remote control button harder when we know the batteries are growing weak? Why do we do that? We know the batteries are dying, but we just push it harder and harder and repeatedly. Uh, perhaps our wives can answer that question. I don't know. Okay, here's, that's all. We all have questions, and doubts don't have to tear our belief down. In fact, doubts can purify our faith. They're not the antithesis of faith. They're actually the gateway into faith. A few quotes that I really love. I've got a lot on doubt, but I'm, Pat, help me narrow these down. Um, James K.A. Smith says, doubt is not an enemy of the faith, but it is a companion of faith. George MacDonald, who was C.S. Lewis's sort of mentor, a man may be haunted with doubts and only, only grow thereby in faith. Doubts are the messengers of the living one to the honest. They are the first knock at our door of things that are not yet, but have to be understood. Doubts must precede every deeper assurance. 
And Fyodor Dostoevsky, gosh, I always have a hard time with his name, said this, my Hosanna has come forth through the crucible of doubt. So here's what I want everybody here to know. That with Jesus, questions are welcome. Jesus has come as you are, doubts and all. And I would say that of this community. That this is a place where doubts and questions are welcome. We don't run from them. We don't hide them. We don't want people covering them up. We want people to be like Thomas and to be honest enough in the community that they can share their doubts. That's the kind of place we want to be because that's the kind of community Jesus was forming. So ask your questions. Give voice to your uncertainties and to your doubts. You know, be discerning who you talk to because you can share those with people that you, you might undermine their faith. You know, but with people who you feel like can help you find kind of some answers. Jordan said something this week that I thought was really profound. He said, doubting isn't what kills your faith. It's keeping them to yourself that kills your faith. Did you make that up or you got that somewhere? Huh? You read it somewhere. Okay. We all read stuff somewhere. So, I, heard, I learned in counseling a long time ago that if a couple comes to you and the fires, it's like the fire, principle of a fire. When a fireman shows up, if the fire's through the roof, I'm told it's too late. And usually when people come to you with problems, the fire's through the roof and it's too late. Don't wait till the end to come out with those doubts and questions. I have a feeling that's what those guys, Harris and Samson, had done. They had kept those things in here, had not voiced them, and then it becomes a blazing fire that, that's hard to put out. And I want you to tell you, I want you to know, I have been there with those questions um, in a big way. I happen to have been there on the front end. It was all part of me coming to faith. I had a lot of hurdles. Again, my father, great guy, but he, I grew up hearing how the Bible was full of inconsistencies, and I just heard all this stuff, so I came to the Bible not trusting it at all, and I had a lot of questions about science and a lot of things. So I've been there, and I understand that. So I just want to encourage you to ask, to give voice, seek out truth, search, explore, read. Proverbs 25.2 says this, It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, to search out a matter is the glory of the king. Isn't that cool? I think what it's saying is, is God, like, he's designed the universe that there are things that to get to them, you have to ponder and search it out. But it's, it's to his glory, to, he created it that way, but it's to our glory to search and to find answers. God's not afraid of that. God can handle it. The truth can handle it. God's truth can handle it. Um, and I want you to know, if you're here and you're young, Jordan is totally with me on this, Right? So this is true in the youth group. For any of you that are teens or you're going to be a teen soon, that Jordan's not afraid of those questions and wants them. Ashley said something backstage that was really significant. She said she knew this was going on with at least Samson, maybe both, I don't know, but she was talking about when he started questioning, putting these things out, people were ham Christians were hammering him online, right? And when you hammer somebody with doubts, what do you think that... What, what do you think that does to them, probably? Does that draw them closer to Jesus, do you think? Or does it push them away? I mean, it pushes them away, and that's why Jude says in Jude 22, be merciful to those who doubt. And so we need to be a community not only that asks our doubts and our questions, but we're merciful to people when they come to us, that we treat them with love and kindness and respect, okay? And I just want you to know from my own journey, I am convinced because I'm up here now. I went from no faith 
to where I follow Jesus and I'm up here. There is compelling evidence in science. The manuscripts in the Bible are very reliable. The things you hear about contradictions, most of them are unreal and don't even, when you look at them, they don't even, a lot of them don't even make sense. Um, I'm not saying all of them. That if you look at archaeology and history, there is a lot of evidence for the reality that Jesus is who He says He is and that the Word of God is who He says it is. Um, there's enough evidence that if you're really looking for the truth, you'll find it convincing, I believe. There's enough, I'm not, because nothing is 100% certain, there's enough that if you don't care about it and won't look into it, you won't find it. But if you look, I think you'll find enough. Um, I was debating whether to do this. I might just quickly do this. Um, just science was a big one for me. And I'm just going to, I'm going to try to make this really quick. Um, I had a lot of barriers in, with science to overcome. And it was actually my freshman year, a teacher put me onto a book because I was asking questions. And that book opened my eyes to some things in science I didn't know were going on. And I just want you to know that in modern science especially, there is a lot of evidence these days that the universe was not randomly created by purely material means, but that there is an intelligent designer behind it. There's a lot of evidence for it, and I would love to talk to anybody who wants to probe that, because I still am very interested in that, and I still continue to read in that field. Um, but since the mid-1970s, there's been this thing called the fine-tuning of the universe, or the anthropic principle that basically it, it appears to science that the universe, the whole universe was designed for life on earth, that there was intention in the way the universe was set up. And there's all this stuff about like all these things in science that I have, if you're a physics professor, strong nuclear force, I have no idea what any of this is, but that everything in the universe, the laws are so finely tuned. Like, so let me give you an example. This strong nuclear force is finely tuned to the 1 to the 10 of the 37th power, and Brian could come up next week and give us a lecture on that if he would like, but basically if you deviate, if, if the, the strong nuclear force deviated like one of those, just one minuscule amount off, the whole universe wouldn't even exist. It's so finely tuned, and that makes, that 1 to 10 to the 37th makes no power, no, no, I don't even understand that, only Brian knows, but... Um, Somebody said, to help us, people like me to understand it, if you stretched a measuring tape across the whole universe and how finely tuned that strong nuclear force is, if, it was, if you had it between the two and the three, so the whole universe, if you moved it just one inch, stretched across the whole universe, if you moved it just one inch, if you deviated the, the power of that, that little, that the universe wouldn't even exist. Does that make sense? Uh, this is a very profound argument that I've given no justice to, except to say this, that these guys in the corner, the four horsemen, they're the four great atheists of our age, Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris, Daniel Dennett, and Christopher Hitchens. And Christopher Hitchens in a video with a guy who he debated was in a limousine, and in the video he turns to him and he says, I've got to be honest, the thing that makes all four of us question our atheism and think maybe there is a creator more than anything is the fine-tuning of the universe. So if, if Christopher Hitchens can say that, that's a pretty strong argument. So, okay, if you have science questions, feel free to come talk to me. I don't have all the answers, but I, this is something that's very interesting to me. Um, so, okay, I want to go back to our text. I just want to finish up with this. Um, there's a few other things that I want to say about doubt. Number one is I think the big thing to me is Jesus takes our questions and doubts. Number two 
is, sure, have your doubts, but believe too. Because what does Jesus say to Thomas? After he gives him the evidence, and his response is, my Lord and my God, oh, this is the Creator. Jesus said, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Do you see how many of the believes happen down here in the bottom part of this? And then he says, these have been written so that you will believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God, the embodiment of God. And in believing, you'll have life in his name. So, yes, there's nothing wrong with doubts, but I want to challenge you to take belief as your primary stance. Not, not like our age. Our age is cynical and skeptical and takes skepticism as the primary stance. And I want to challenge you to take belief as your primary stance. Because I've talked to a lot of people who are cynical. I grew up cynical. I mean, I grew up in a cynical generation. But cynical people are never cynical about their cynicism. They trust their cynicism. Because humans, our fundamental stance has to be belief. Even in my cynicism, there's things I have to believe to be cynical. Does that make sense? So I just want to tell you, have a stance towards belief, not towards cynicism. Um, there's been some sociological research recently that children are born trusting. It is the default of human nature. Our culture has just skewed us a different way. Okay, so ask your questions. Keep a stance of belief because that's what Jesus calls him to. Three, stay in community. Look up here in verse... So all this happened, and in verse 26, a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was... He was what? He was with them. So even in his doubts, Thomas stayed in the community. And I forgot to bring up my really cool book. I was going to read a quote from Henry Nouwen about the key to Thomas and his doubts and not losing his faith was the fact that he stayed connected to the community. And so in your questions and in your doubts, ask them. Ask them in this community and stay in the community. Work it out with us. Um, again, there are people here who can answer questions. I love having coffee and talking about these types of things because I had so many questions I had to go through. So if you've got some, let me know. So stay in community. So ask your questions. Have a stance of belief. Tilt that way. Stay in community. Number four, look at verse 30. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book, but these are written. So in this book, and these are written. And I want to challenge you to keep the Word of God central in your questions. Don't toss it aside and give it up. I know you may even have questions about it, like, can I even trust this book? So come talk to me, because I, I think it's very trustworthy, and I think it's com there's compelling evidence for it. But stay connected to the Word of God. Don't, don't just toss it aside. I think most importantly, then, I would say fifth, stay in the Word, but who over here said Jesus? Was it Sarah? Keep Jesus central. That's why we see Jesus so many times in here. And if I went through and we circled all the, the I've got it on another sheet, all the he, me, my, aunt, where he's referring to himself, the references to Jesus in here are, are huge because he's the center of the story. Philip Yancey said, I'm the proud owner of the Oxford English Dictionary, which contains every word in our language. Instead of the 20-volume version that retails for 3000 I got a special one-volume edition for $39.95. It contains the full text of the dictionary with the drawback of typesetting shrunk and too small to read. So next I purchase a splendid magnifying glass the size of a dinner plate mounted on a swivel arm with a fluorescent light built in. When I train the magnifying glass on a word, the tiny marks show up crisp and clear in the center or focal point while the edges grow progressively distorted. 
In an exact parallel, for me, Jesus has become the focal point of faith, and increasingly I'm learning to keep the magnifying glass of my faith focused on Him. In my spiritual journey, I've long lingered in the margins, puzzling over matters like the problem of pain, the conundrum of prayer, providence versus free will. When I do so, everything becomes fuzzy. Looking at Jesus, however, restores clarity. For example, the Bible leaves many questions unanswered about the problem of pain, but in Jesus, I see unmistakable proof that God is the God of all comfort and not the author of our pain. I learn to trust God with areas I do not understand by getting to know Jesus. And if that sounds evasive, I suggest it accurately reflects the centrality of Christ presented in the New Testament. And I agree. Jesus is the center of the story. The Bible is a unified story that points to Jesus. Jesus is the center of this story. And so I encourage you, keep, keep your eyes on Him because, again, there is compelling evidence that He is the Lord and He is the Creator. So keep your eyes on Him. Samson said, pastors falling is part of what created his doubt. And it's really easy to, for us to, to, for our faith to become centered on people, like the youth pastor or me or somebody. Don't put us on a pedestal. We are broken. We are sinful. Okay? I'm not the center of the faith. Jordan's not the center of the faith. You're not the center of the faith. None of us is. We are here to worship who? To worship Jesus. And He is our Lord and Master. And then, to move even beyond that, not just Jesus, I challenge you, keep the resurrection central. Of everything in Jesus, keep the resurrection central. And here's the reason. Because Paul said he put everything, his faith, on the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15, 14. He said if that is not true, everything falls. But I also want to say the opposite. If Jesus rose from the dead. Because how many people do you know that rise from the dead every day? Have ever risen from the dead? Okay, that if this man who said, when asked, what's the evidence of everything you say? He said, you will put me to death and three days later I will come alive. He staked everything, the reliability on everything he said on his resurrection. And the resurrection has always been central to me. And anytime I have doubts, the thing I always go back to, okay, I don't understand this, this is bothering me, but I go back to the resurrection because there's compelling evidence that if you want to talk about it, I can talk to you about it. There is compelling evidence in history that Jesus rose from the dead, that it's not a myth, but that event happened. And that's why this story is so important to me, because it's centered on Jesus, but not just that, it's centered on His resurrection. Interestingly, Marty Sampson, the Hillsong guy, I was looking through his Instagram feed, and very recently, he has started to engage a professor at Houston Baptist University who is an expert on the resurrection and the historical evidence. And Marty Sampson wrote this, the key question for me now is, did Jesus raise from the dead? This is the only question I care about. Good for him, because he's focusing on Jesus on the resurrection, and he's focused on the right thing. So, good news for him, I think. All right, and finally... Number seven, I want to encourage you to accept the mystery, because up here, Thomas's first word, I mean, after he said, I mean, his first words to them were, unless I see. Nobody had seen somebody rise from the dead, and he had so many questions, and there was so much mystery to that. And there is mystery, because I am not God. And I don't know everything, and I'm never going to know everything. And so I challenge you with your doubts to be willing to live and step into the mystery and not have to have the answer to everything. Um, in Mark 16, um, it says, when he appeared to the women, it says trembling and what's that other word? 
bewildered, they went out. There is mystery in all of this, so just be willing to live into it. All right, Priscilla Shire, writing about the recent loss of faith, said this, and I like what she says. Now is the time more than ever to fortify our spiritual backbone, to know what we believe, to be in the Word of God so that we can stand firm on truth that we actually know, not just what we've heard through the grapevine. Pretty good advice. So, that are my, those are my initial thoughts on losing faith, and I think John 20 is a key passage that gives us a lot to think about. I just want to end with a word of advice to parents, and then we're going to pray. Can we do that? Here's my word of advice to parents. Um, I learned these after my kids' children were grown up, so I didn't ever get to ask this. But I met a parent who regularly engages his teenagers with these three questions. What are you starting to doubt about life or faith that you think I still believe? What do you no longer believe about life or faith that you think I still believe? And what do you now believe about life or faith that you think I don't believe? And what I love about this, especially if you start this early in their teenage years, is you will intercept their doubts and their questions early before the roof's on fire, right? And the other thing I like about this is that you think I believe is that it also gives you a chance because sometimes your children don't totally understand what you believe and they misunderstood it and it gives you a chance to clarify. So I just want to offer those. If you want to, I'm just doing that quick. If you want to get those from me, I can come up and get those. So would you stand with me? I want to end with a prayer. One of my favorite passages of Scripture, I've got a lot of them, but Mark 9.24, a man who was seeking the healing of his son, and Jesus said, I'll heal him if you believe, and his response was, uh, I've got to work through all this in case that was my backup, was, I do believe help me overcome my unbelief. So would, can we make this a prayer to God? Would you pray this with me, this whole thing? All right. So Lord, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I want you guys to join me. Ready? Let's do it again. Lord, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Gracious God, there are times when my ability to trust seems absent. My heart longs for truth and I even find within me a kernel of desire to believe, but my mind seems unable to grasp the truth and belief that I seek. Let your sure and true presence wash over me, shedding shafts of light where only darkness resides, and in those shafts of light may I see the outline of your face. I ask this for the sake of your love. Lord, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. So can we be a community that takes questions and allows them and allows doubts, that we want people to give voice, that we will show mercy, we'll listen, we'll do the best to point people to the right answers, and we'll walk with people. And we want to be a community that when we have doubts, we stay in the community, leaning towards belief, focused on Jesus, on His Word, and on the resurrection. Can we be that kind of community? Because we don't want to be a place, we can't guarantee people, nobody losing their faith, but we want to be a place that we don't live with the elephant in the room, but we, we address questions, okay? So let us go this week and be Jesus' people in Emporia or wherever you live. So you're dismissed.